Well, I would imagine that many of you have been at a party or a gathering or something at work, and you've told people that you attend church. And the reply you got went something like this. Oh, oh, I'm not religious. Now, other people are a bit more sophisticated. They will say to you, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Now, that can mean a variety of things. Usually, it means they're just lazy. Uh, Still others will say, religion didn't do anything for me. Religion has caused a lot of problems in the world. The church is full of hypocrites. And the classic, it's my only day to sleep. And I'll say, I thought you were unemployed. They're like, yeah, but still, it's my only day to sleep. At this point, when people start to answer you like that, you may wonder to yourself, uh, why do I say anything? Why do I even bother? Or what can I do to change the subject? You're like, maybe politics. No, that's not a good idea. Sports. I don't follow sports. The weather. Maybe. You know, you're just trying to, oh, oh, they put the hot, mini hot dogs out or whatever it is. I got I to get out of this conversation. And some of you might sit here today and go, I wonder what Pastor Jim would say if he was here. Well, I've been in a lot of those conversations and that people have said all that kind of stuff to me. And this is what I say to them. I couldn't agree with you more. And I usually get a completely puzzled look on, my, on their face, like I'm getting from all of you right now. And then I say this to them. Actually, I'm not religious. And I don't think God is religious either. Now, some of them may know I'm a pastor. This is what happens when you become a pastor. I was just Jim for so long, and I became Pastor Jim. And people are like, it's the pastor. It's the pastor. You know, don't, don't use any four-letter words. And then inevitably, when people try not to use four-letter words, they use four-letter words. <laughs> and, and so uh, my words seem very odd to them. They're thinking, this guy will never have anybody come to his church if he, if he says that he's not religious and maybe God isn't either. What does he mean by that? And then I will try to explain to them what I've entitled today's message, religion's big problem and what God has done about it. Haggai is an Old Testament prophet uh, preaching in 520 B.C. Wow, that's something, right? Really, 2,500 years ago. And he's in Jerusalem after the period of what's known as the 70-year Babylonian captivity. God's people were taken away to Babylon because of their sin, which they had been warned about for years. And then God brought back about 50,000 of them to Jerusalem. Uh, The city was in ruins because the Babylonians had destroyed it. Uh, They came back to rebuild the temple because the Babylonians had destroyed it. In fact, that was part of their cockiness of why they thought that nobody would ever conquer them. They're like, we've got the temple. And, you know, the temple was symbolic of the presence of God, but it wasn't God. And they thought, well, God would never let anybody attack this city because we have the temple, Uh, but he did. And so now they've come back 16 years or so later, and in chapter 1, Haggai rebuked them for starting the building of the temple, the rebuilding of the temple, and stopping almost right away because they were too self-centered. They had made it all about themselves. 
So after hearing Haggai talk like that to them, they started again. And last week we saw that the Lord encouraged them. And today we're going to see, they get to verse 18, there's this sort of celebration going on that they have completed uh, the, the reinforcing of the foundation. And the Babylonians destroyed it. We don't think they destroyed the foundation. They stole the silver and gold and the artifacts. And so they've sort of reinforced the foundation after only a few months. But now the Lord wants to start, as they're continuing to work, the Lord wants to dig deeper into them and to us to think more deeply about the temple. And for us to think more deeply about church, uh, to, to help us follow Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, really glad that you're here. Love to meet you after the service. And I, I'm totally sincere when I say that to help us follow Jesus and to move forward in confidence. Now, right about now, someone who, you know, knows enough Bible to make themselves dangerous says, well, I don't, I don't need to, you know, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Yet the scripture teaches that going to church is a sign that you are a Christian, although God's going to critique a little bit about sometimes the way we go to church today. So let's go to the New Testament, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. The writer says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Well, you've got to be here to do that. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Another version says, Not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do. But exhorting one another, that word could mean similar to encouraging, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What is the day? The day is the second coming of Jesus Christ, judgment day for the rejection of Jesus and not worshiping Jesus, and he says it is coming soon. Some people would say, well, it's been 2,000 years, but how many people have died in the last 2,000 years? And that day has come for them. I think here in Haggai, it's also worth mentioning at this time that the prophet Zechariah has come on the scene. And uh, these guys date their ministry, which is really great, makes it easy for us. And he began his ministry a few weeks earlier. And he told the people while they're building the temple that more repentance was needed. Now, you can hear the pushback already. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That other guy came in, Haggai, with the weird name. And he harassed us and he told us that God said we need to start rebuilding the temple. So we started it. And now you're coming along and telling us we need to repent more. We're rebuilding the temple. We're doing what we were told to do. When it's all done, we know that they were probably coming during the, during the holidays at this terrible temple or just the site. It was decimated, the building, but they were coming at the site to order sacrifices during the festivals. But our intention, they would say, is once it's, gone, once it's up and going, we're going to go to temple. Your religious friend will say this to you. Shut up. I go to church. I'm religious. And God's going to make the case to us today quite simply this. Now, today it snowed. How many of you went into your garage today to get a shovel or something out or a car? How many of you park your car in your garage? We just started doing that. It's wonderful. Um, you go into your garage. How many of you went into your garage? Be honest. Raise your hand. You went into your garage. There you go. Did that turn you into a car? No, it didn't turn you into a car. So, so going into temple doesn't necessarily make you a follower of Yahweh. 
Going to church doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. Doesn't necessarily make you a follower of Jesus. And so right about now, when I'm talking to people about stuff like this, they're like, I got to go. Or, you know, it's just, I, need to, I need to warm up my, you know, freshen up my drink or something like that. I'm like, oh, I'll still be here. Come back. <laughs> so God doesn't, does God ignore this stuff? He doesn't. It's interesting. One of the biggest people that God talks to in the word of God is church people. We... we Sermons that pick on the people outside the church are cheap, right, and non-academic, right? It's easy to pick on that. But, but, but a lot of the writing in the Bible is the people who say they're God's people but don't act and live like they're God's people. And so if you're taking notes, three things this morning. Number one, God communicates the problem. He's just not going to sit by. He's going to actually say something. And he tells us the problem with religion by describing the root problem or the cause instead of just the symptoms that most people describe. And he gives them a powerful illustration. On the 24th day, verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius. Now I know almost all of you know, one or two of you don't, so I'll tell you that's December 18th, 520 B.C. The word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying... Now, verse 11, I want to, I want to uh, read to you. Um, actually, verse 12, I'll read to you twice. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law. He says, I'm going to ask that. I want you to ask him a question concerning the law of Moses. First five books of the Bible. So I'll read verse 12 twice. If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment... And with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, no. You're like, Pastor Jim, this is why I don't read the Bible. (laughs) Because, Because of stuff like this. I don't have any idea what he's talking about. So let's go a little more slowly. Try it again. He says, if anyone, if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, just a quick question. Um, are any, do any of you have meat in your coat right now? <laughs> if you do, you might want to move over and put a seat in between you and the person next to you. It's a snow day, so there's places to sit today, okay? So it's, right, you, you, might, you might want to do that. Now, some of the moms are going, does Lunchables count? I have, I have, a, I have Lunchables, okay? <laughs> right? Okay, that, that doesn't count. So he says, you have got holy meat in the fold of your garment, and with the edge, the edge of the garment, some might say it's the meat, but I think it's the garment, he touches bread, stew, wine, or oil, or any food. Will it, will that food, so it was holy food you put in your coat, and then you go touch other food with your coat, will that food become holy? Then the priest answered and said, No. You're like, that still didn't help at all, Pastor Jim. That didn't help at all. Well, number one, it's job preservation, because if only the priest can make holy things, and you could just by wearing a jacket go and walking around town, then that wouldn't work, right? But they said said no. Always a safe answer when people ask you questions you don't know the answer to. You're just like, no, no. It's like I've been in youth group for so many years, and kids get in the car, say to their parents, um, the parents go, what was youth group about? They go, Jesus. 
<laughs> so we used to do small group questions, and we'd have a question at the end. What was one valuable lesson you, ter- you learned tonight? And I would go around the room until every kid could answer the question uniquely. And then I said, when you get in the car, that's what you have to tell your parents when they said, they said what did you learn tonight? But after three or four parents hit telephone poles, we decided we were not going to do that anymore <laughs> because they were so shocked that their kid paid attention and, and learned something. So here we go. The role of the priest was not just religious activity. Another role of the priest was their duty to teach the word of God. Fifty years later, the prophet Malachi will call them the messengers of the Lord. Now he's saying to them, you're supposed to be the messengers of the Lord. But he's also going to tell Malachi is also going to tell them that they had become corrupt. And he's also going to say to them, you have departed from the way you have caused many to stumble. Think Malachi had a lot of friends? <laughs> now I want to be kind, but I want to be completely honest. That has been the condition of the relig- of religion for centuries, and it is today. People are not teaching the word of the Lord. And in not teaching the word of the Lord, They are causing people to stumble. And there is absolutely, positively, no excuse for it. Another role they had was to answer questions according to the word of God. Again, today I would have to give people in our pulpits very, very low grades on that. Very low grades on that. Our, our pulpits today are full of opinions or springboard preaching. You know what that is, right? You read a Bible verse and then you dive into the pool of your own opinion. And there's a lot of that going around. It's today, of course, still the area we live in, there's lots of ritual. We also know that there's lots of entertainment. People think if you can keep people entertained, they will come back. I don't know how you get from the cross to entertainment, but maybe they're more creative than I am. Another thing that's really, really big is uh, what I would call self-help wrapped in religious language. So you just it's like you go out to the you go to the diner or something like that, and you'll be like, "I'll have the I'll have the self-help in the wrap," you know, and just put some religious language on it, and you know, people say, "Well, they're reading right out of the Bible." Well, you can make the Bible say anything you want. You can talk God, gobbledygook, all you want. And sadly, there will be people who will believe it. Let me tell you a story. A guy was someplace, he was, it was during wartime, and his, where he was was bombed. And uh, people died, but he didn't. And he was slightly paralyzed on one side of his body, And then he was talking to a friend of his, and he said, it was that day that I knew that God spared me because my cause was right. That was Adolf Hitler talking to Mussolini. That when they tried to assassinate him, he lived and took it as, he was telling people that was a sign from God. He lived because what he was doing is right. So Haggai goes to the priest. He asks a question that a kid in the children's ministry could answer, not for the sake of knowledge. 
He knows the answer. He wants, he, he, he's asking the person because he wants to help them to see the conclusion for themselves. Now, Leviticus chapter 6 from the book of Moses, uh, one of the first five books of the Bible, told them that an animal sacrifice on the altar made the meat holy, and certain sacrifices the priests were allowed to eat. We're also told that the priestly garments were were holy as well, uh, but there is no magic. Neither one of them could pass on holiness. Moses never said that. So what's the point? What is the point that God is making with them? Just because you are rebuilding the temple, just because you're going to attend the temple, just because we are going to church, that does not make us okay with God. And a lot of people have that completely wrong. I mean, you ever watch those movies on TV? And the mafia the guys, they go to, they go to, they go to church. Most of you know that old story. Of, you know, the mafia guy has his brother. His brother dies, and he goes to the, he goes to the priest, and he goes, Hey, Fada, I'm going to donate a lot of money to the church if you get up and you tell everybody that my brother was a saint. And he goes, I can't do that. That would be lying. He goes, Fada, I offered you a lot of money. He goes, I still can't do it. It would be lying. He says, What size shoe do you take? Because he's going to make them cement shoes. So the priest said, I'll do it. So he gets up there, he gives the sermon, and he says, you know, this man did a lot of wrong things in his life. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> I mean, mafia, also people, they, 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 they go to church. But holy status before God required more. And the temple... And church and rituals. What, what are the, do you know what the rituals of the church are? They are signs. Signs pointing us to a greater reality. When you came down Route 15 today, if you looked up, there was a big sign that said Calvary Chapel. That church, that sign is not Calvary Chapel. That was pointing you to the greater reality to come in here. We are Calvary Chapel. Religion. These types of things are not good luck charms. And quite simply, the question is this. Is holiness before God contagious by touching something? Answer, 100% no. And if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, that's fine, glad you're here. But that is why followers of Jesus are not religious. Another question, verse 13. And Haggai said, if one who is unclean because of a dead body, so he touched, there was a dead body, he touched a dead body, touches any of these, anything else, will it be unclean? So now he says, is uncleanness contagious? So the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Now the question is, according to the law of Moses, is unholiness uncleanness before God contagious? Answer, 100% yes. Now let's put it into our language to try and make it a little bit more understandable. There's an old expression, one rotten or bad apple spoils the bunch. Now let's think about what that means. We'll start with verse 12. Let's say you have a barrel of rotten apples. 
it's just it stinks. There's there's you know yellow jackets flying all over something like that. And you come up with the bright idea and you go, I have this beautiful clean apple and I'm just going to throw it into that barrel of of bad apples and it's going to make it clean. Okay? Do the rotten apples become clean? No. Now verse 13, the opposite. You have a barrel of good apples and you throw a bad one in. Does the rotten apple infect the clean apples? Yes. Here's another illustration. Not talking about anybody's kid in particular, just so you're like, oh, he's talking about my kid. My kids are grown now. It used to always be my kids. Actually, the young one. (laughs) My mother says he's just like his father. (laughs) If you look around the church, you may notice some kids' fingerprints on the walls. I actually love that, personally. That blesses my heart. I love the fact that we got a lot of kids running around here. Uh, I, you know, they just energize me. So there's kids' fingerprints uh, from putting their dirty hands on the wall. But let's just imagine your kids just don't have dirty hands at all. You, it's like, I'm going to get that Pastor Jim. I'm going to wash my kids 45 times till they're chapped, right? And the kid walks down the hallway, puts their clean hands on the wall. Can you see a mark? No. What's the principle? The Lord is showing us dirtiness transfers, clean does not. Let's be honest for a second. Have you noticed that it's a lot easier to mess up your life than it is to clean up your life? I mean, it's hard to clean up your life, isn't it? You fall into some habit or you start doing something, and, and that, that is really hard. People will say stuff to you like this. Well, God is not making me happy. Yet how often it is our unholiness is what led to our unhappiness. People often try to do this. They try to take a single good apple, like going to church or or religion. They take a single good apple and they toss it into their barrel full of sin and they will say to you, I tried religion, it didn't help. And they are more right than they know. That's why I agree with them. Now, if you're thoroughly confused, this is one of those passages where as a pastor you, th- you say to the Lord, oh, thank you so much, because he gives us the interpretation of what he's talking about. A lot of times I'm like, what are you talking about? Right? And, and so I've got to work it, and I've got to work it, and I've got to work it. You come to passages like this. He tells you the interpretation in verse 14 because he's gracious to people like me and Bible readers, and he gives us the interpretation and the application. I'm going to read verse 14 twice again. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. And Haggai answered and said, and this is the Lord speaking, the Lord told him to say this, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. So Haggai said, God wants you to build the temple. They got back to building the temple. They're building the temple. And God says, here is my critique of what you're doing right now. 
And so is every work of their hands. We might say what they do for God. And what they offer there is unclean. Now we do, again, we do believe that they were coming back to the temple site, even though it was destroyed at the festivals at certain times of the year, and offering sacrifices. God says they're coming back. They're offering these sacrifices at this destroyed place because they only care about themselves, their own houses. They don't care about me. And those sacrifices are unclean. Another version says they are defiled. In other words, what they are doing is doing nothing for me, God says, in my eyes. Here's the problem. Since they returned, the people, we saw this earlier, In chapter 1, the people were constantly putting themselves first and God on the shelf. And what was happening was that attitude was spreading. More of the apples in in the barrel were becoming rotten because the attitude was spreading. The reality is, no matter how religious someone claims to be, With that attitude, everything they offer to God will be defiled and be unclean. We saw this in Matthew 23 last year when Jesus said to the religious leaders, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. Now, we said a lot of times those things were on the ground, but have you ever seen those big buildings, uh, like maybe family buildings in a graveyard? I didn't live too far from a graveyard growing up. And, and so they would have these beautiful marble buildings. And so periodically they would maintain them. So Jesus is like, you're like a whitewashed tomb. Man, you're well maintained on the outside. Oh, needs a paint job? Let's paint it. Needs to clean the dirt off? Let's clean the dirt off. How about some flowers? Oh, that would look so nice. But man, you open the door. And if someone was just put in there, what is it? Whew. Or you open, you do a little more investigation, it's full of dead man's bones. It's window dressing. That's the same thing he's telling these people here. It's just window dressing. Bible scholar Joyce Baldwin, who I've learned a lot from, I think she's home with the Lord now, she wrote these words. The ruined temple, a witness to sins of negligence, stood like a corpse in the midst. God's like, This building that you're trying to build, this temple site here, honestly, it's like a dead body to me. It's defiled. It's unclean because of the attitudes of the people. That's what took you to Babylon. And now some of the same attitudes. Oh, the idolatry has gone. But putting yourself first, that's here. The Lord is clear. The Lord wants our hearts, not just our hands and a bunch of dead good works. He wants our hearts. Faith and trust to be put in him. And religion is often the problem. We're more concerned about what we do than with our hearts. And religion is simply what we do for God. That's why I tell people I'm not religious. Religious is doing, you look at all the world religions, these things I do for God. It's me trying to reach God where Christianity is God reaching to mankind in the person of Jesus Christ. What's the cure? Repent and take a completely different attitude towards living the Christian life. Towards the house of the Lord. Towards our worship. But let's be totally honest here. 
In our busy, busy American lives, isn't it so easy to go through a whole day and barely give God a second thought? I mean, isn't that really easy to have that happen? Isn't it easy to come to church and not really be that mindful of God? You, some of you are like, oh no, that would be, I'm too spiritual. I know some of you fight in your car on the way to church. We bugged your car. <laughs> No, I know you do, because we did. We would be, we'd, be driving a, we'd be driving to church, and the kids would be fighting, and my wife would be like, come on, come on. I'm like, oh, you break up the fight. I'm concentrating on the road. What a cop out. And, so, and then all of a sudden, I go, shh, Satan's in the car. She's like, don't call my children Satan, <laughs> right? But it's easy to come to church, and we're not even mindful of things of God. It's easy to actually sit here. And to be daydreaming. Not on the edge of my seat. That God might actually say something to me today. That is totally for me. It's totally a word from him. And some people would fire back. Hey, listen, man. God just wants us to go to church. That's all that really matters. Listen to this. Scary verse, Proverbs 28, 9. One who turns away his ear from the hearing of the law. You're like tuning out the word of God. Even his prayer is an abomination. Whoa, whoa. (laughs) So God has communicated the problem. But does he sit idle? Does he be like, well, you know, it's just the way it is. No, he doesn't. Number two, God confronts the problem. He confronts the problem. Verse 15. And now, consider carefully. He says it again. Remember in chapter 1, he said, consider your ways. Now he says, consider carefully. From this day forward. So he's saying, this is a new day. If you want it, this is a new day. From before the stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. So he's saying, think back a little bit. Since those days, and we know that the economy has been not going well for them, and he talks about some units of measure here. Since those days, when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, but there were 10, when one came to a wine vat to draw out 50 baths from the press, but there were 20. So, so you're thinking, oh, sure, we're going to have this much to harvest, and then you're like, dude, it's, it's, it's half of what we thought. It's 40% of what we thought. That's not enough to feed us, and that's not going to produce enough seed for us to even plant next year. Nothing was going right for them. Nothing was going right. The enemies were still around them. There was great political upheaval. Nothing was going right. Why? Verse 17, God says this. I struck you. I struck you. He's saying, this is why everything's going crazy. I'm behind this. I struck you with blight. What is blight? That's the desert wind that dries up the plants. And mildew, that's the excessive moisture that causes fungus. And hail, that just flattens everything. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labor of your hands. 
yet. And you can just hear the sadness of the Lord. You did not turn to me, says the Lord. So the Lord says, listen, I want you to think about recent history. I want you to think about what's going on in your life. How's it been going for you in your disobedience? How's it been going for you as you're doing your own thing? Now, if you were with us Wednesday night, we talked a little bit about this. Uh, the word obedience just, and disobedience just rubs against Christians. I mean, they, they, so many Christians are like, oh, no, no, God doesn't care if I obey him. God cares if you obey him. But, the, but in the word of God, the, the obedience is not some demanding order. It's not like God's like, you will obey or I will get you. That's not it. Obeying is simply living with God's help, your life and my life, according to the word of God. That's what obedience is. And disobedience is what? Not living according to the word of God. Now, if they were honest, they would say that their disobedience, not living according to the word of God, that they're doing their own thing, in their lives, made their lives unfulfilling, disappointing, unfruitful, and frustrating. Why did the Lord want them to carefully consider this? So in the quietness of their souls, they could say to the Lord, Lord, why is all of this stuff so hard. Why is it so impossible? And the Lord would say, I struck you. It was me. I have been behind your frustration. The Lord saying to them, listen, none of this is a coincidence. These tough times that you are experiencing are my way of calling you back to me. Now, they should have learned from all of the things that were happening in their environment because it was in their Bibles. 200 years earlier, the prophet Amos said the, called the northern kingdom to come back to God, and all the same kind of stuff, the same kind of language was going on before their fall to Assyria in 721 B.C. Now, Americans. Now, some of you sit here and you go, oh, good, lecture these people, Pastor Jim. I'm not an American. Once you're here six months, you're already one of us, if it takes that long, trust me. Americans are obsessed with comfort, aren't we? And we hate to acknowledge that quite possibly our sin has caused our discomfort. Many people say, God hates me. God's out to get me. And then this is what we do. This is what we do as Christians. We hate, we hate God looking bad. We're like, oh, no, 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 no. God loves you. God loves you. True. But there's a better way to answer that question with someone is when someone says like this, when they say God hates me, God's out to get me, you say to them, that's probably not what's going on. 
He's probably screaming to you in your pain. He's probably screaming to you in your frustration. He's probably screaming to you in your lack of fulfillment. And what is he saying? Turn to me. Or return to me. And I refuse to believe in a room with this many people that that is not a word for more, for one or more of you. That God is saying to you today, your frustration, you're feeling like you're hitting a brick wall at everything you're trying to do, is my simple call for you to return to me. Now, if that's you today, and you are so exhausted, you know you need to turn to God or return to the Lord, hear the voice of Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, popular verses. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Man, just soak in that for a second. You don't have to be on a beach today in the Caribbean to rest. Jesus says, you just come to me and I can give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. That, that, that conflict in your soul, that great Jewish word, that agita in your soul that's going on. Jesus says, I got it, man. I can get rid of that. I can give you rest. He says, for my yoke, and an animal had a yoke that would be placed upon them. And, and a lot of times, you, maybe you're carrying a heavy yoke. Everything is heavy for you. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You, you, what you do is you take off that heavy yoke, you give it to me. You let me carry it, and I'll put my burden on you, and you're going to find out that it's actually light. Now, before we leave this section, I want to make sure we're clear on something here because I don't want anybody to hear, leave here with the wrong impression. This was God speaking to a specific people in a specific place in a specific time. Now, is the application to some of us correct? Yes. Some of us might be battling God, disobedient to God, ignoring God, and God is frustrating us to get us to realize it's him because it's his call back to us. But, loved ones, sometimes your circumstances are tough, and it's not because of any of those things. It's not because of sin. You're like, you're feeling guilty because you're sitting here going like, oh man, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? All this stuff, this happened to me. What's going on? It might not be that. In the New Testament, Hebrews 5.8 says of Jesus, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Sometimes you're going to learn how to live the Christian life through suffering. Sometimes, because of difficult times that you continue in the Christian life, that's going to be a confirmation to you that you actually are a Christian. 
You try to stand up for the right thing at work and you catch a lot of flack for it. Maybe you even lose your job for it. You're learning obedience from the things that you suffer. You tell people about Jesus. I mean, they are in your face, man. They're talking to you and the spit's coming over your face and the the fire's coming out of their nostrils. You're learning obedience from the things that you suffer. You did not do anything but the right thing. You had nothing to do with the consequences. It wasn't because of your sin. It was because of your righteousness. So it might not be you did something wrong. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? My son, do not despise the chastening. Some of your versions say discipline of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Why? Why should you not be discouraged? Verse 6. And if I could ask the sound guys to leave verse 6 up for a while. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you let me indulge myself for a moment, most of you know that for the last four and a half years I have had an extremely rare neurological disorder. That's why you always sit me, see me sitting on a stool. People are like, what was he like before he was sick? They're like, he's running around like a crazy man. So I I see, because it's rare, I see really famous doctors. Sometimes I see doctors and people go, that's like he's one of the best in the world. She's one of the best in the world. Or certainly the best that, that the Northeast has to offer. And what do they tell me? It's genetics. It's a birth defect that just eventually showed itself. Now I see other people and well, many people, and they have all other kinds of different solutions and things that I need to do and drink this, take that, do this, do that. They say you need to rest. The doctors say don't rest, you'll never get up. <laughs> Seriously, because people who have what I have, they, worry, they put them on suicide watch. They sent me to, to the psychiatrist, and she tells the doctor, I want his life. <laughs> Some people every once in a while will say, well, maybe there's some secret sin in your life. I go, well, there's a lot of sin in my life. I'm riddled with the stuff. And I have people in my life who are faithful to tell me that I'm riddled with it. And so sometimes people will say, how do you answer this bizarre illness that you have, Pastor Jim? And my answer is verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And scourges every son whom he receives. So what do you do if it's you? This is really just stuff that I've just learned. And I'm still learning. What do you do if it's you? You have to work really hard to keep your heart soft before God. You have to value the Lord's presence in your life, even though you may not be able to always physically or mentally or be there to experience it like you did in the past. Maybe there's a new way of experiencing it, but you've got to value the Lord's presence in your life above everything else. You have to remember that the Lord is active in your life. 
I always tell the Lord, I know you're healing me. I don't know when, but I know you are. You have to pray that you don't become bitter. Thinking like, why does this happen to me, man? I'm just trying to follow Jesus. What's the deal with this? But overall, I think the most important thing that I have learned and I continue to learn is that God is working in me to make me more like Jesus, to make me holier in the process. And I wasn't there at the beginning, but I'm there now. That that is more important than me knowing why this is happening to me. That God growing me is more important. God's work in in me is more important than having the explanation for something that I might not be able to change anyway or fix anyway. Do I pray God heals me? Of course I do. Do I value your prayers for that? Of course I do. But I've learned that, that, that holiness, cleanness, is more important than an explanation. And I've accepted that God doesn't owe me an explanation, but I've trusted that he says that those whom he loves, he's going to chasten. Let me tell you something. That is not religion. That is not religion at all. That is a loving relationship with the living God whose ways, Isaiah tells us, and thoughts are very different than ours. And I will not lie to you. There are times when I say to God, your ways are weird. They are strange. They make no sense to me. And the Lord comes back with, I didn't ask you to analyze my ways. I asked you to trust me. And guess what? Guess what? Your unbelieving friends, they will listen to that. That will get their attention. Listen to what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah, Prophet Jeremiah 10.24. O Lord, correct me, but with justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. He's like, Lord, I'm cool with this man. Just don't crush me. Just don't kill me. Just don't let it get so bad to the point in time where I walk away from you. Just, I'll take it. I can do this. I know you're with me. But just don't bring me to nothing. But that takes us to number three. God fixes the problem. Verse 18. Consider, says it again, now from this day forward, Maybe someone here today or multiple people today need to take this date and write it down. Maybe this is going to be a marquee date for you. Maybe, maybe you write this in your Bible or in your notes or in the front of your Bible, something like that. You say, this, day, this is my day, God. I am marking this date. This is a special date for me. Dates are important. I became a Christian 
On March 24th, 1988, I had to concentrate on that because I said 1928 in the last uh, service. <laughs> then I told everybody how good I look for as old as I am, and that I'm Benjamin Button. <laughs> okay, I became a Christian on, on March 24th, 1988, 5.20 p.m. Atlantic time. I was down in the Caribbean. And when old Snaggletooth comes and he's gnawing at my ear, the roaring lion that seeks to devour... Sometimes I just say this to him. I get what you're saying, and I even partially agree with what you're saying. However, March 24th, 1988, 5.20 p.m., Atlantic time, stick it in your ear and get out of here. And sometimes in our lives, you don't have to know the day and the moment, but it's good to have grace markers in your life. And maybe today is a grace marker for you. Maybe today is the day where you say, I'm I'm putting my flag in the ground on this date. And I'm going to say, from this day forth, things are going to be different. And so he says, consider, now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, that's the celebration they're having, consider, he says it again, Verse 19, is the seed still in the barn? There's no seed. The crops have been terrible. They know next year is going to be awful. It's going to be awful. If you don't have seed, you can't grow crops. As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. You you know there's nothing coming. But from this day, I will bless you. The Lord says, from this day, I will bless you. Here the Lord says, listen, the past is the past. Now you're moving forward in obedience. Grace and blessing will follow. Although I would tell you that grace and blessing has been with them all along because do not discount the grace of correction. When God corrects you, it's because he loves you. When they put themselves first, their barns were empty. Even worse, their hearts were empty. Now, with the Lord first in their life, it is a new day. Without seed in their barn, next year would be a disaster. But with the Lord first in their hearts, they will experience the blessing of the Lord. And the the point is that above and beyond our failures and our sin, the grace of God is offered to any and all who will repent and believe who will turn to God, repent, turn, and believe, put their trust in him. Whether it's your first time today or you're coming back. As followers of Jesus, we must hear Haggai that the Lord is with us and will bless us even when things don't seem that way. Now, here we have to be very, very careful because the prosperity guys, they like to take these Old Testament passages and they like to say, now you have to claim this as your promise. God said he's going to make them rich, so he's going to make you rich. So if you have enough faith, tomorrow morning you'll go to your mailbox and there'll be a check for $12,000 in it. And if you're honest, you'll take it and you'll walk it over to your neighbor because it's not for you. The guy put it in the wrong box. The Old Testament material blessings were signs. What does a sign do? It points to a greater reality. They were signs of the greater reality 
of the deep spiritual and eternal blessings that flow from a relationship with God. It's not through just trying harder. Some things we do need to try harder at, but that's not the end all. It's not through going through the motions of church. God says, I will bless you. I will do it. I will do the work. We just respond in faith and trust. This was a special day for these people. The rebuilding of the temple, the place where they would meet with God to experience his love and his grace and to learn of him. But God did something even greater to fix the problem. John chapter 114 tells us what he did. And the word, which we know to be Jesus, and the word became flesh. God himself became a man. The temple himself became a man. The presence of God was contained inside a man and love walked among us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Such incredible generosity. Yet most people are too busy with themselves or they think they're good enough and clean enough that they don't need to meet Jesus and to be made clean. The coming of Jesus Christ to earth was the most important moment in world history. I will include the cross and the resurrection in that. And friend, your coming to Jesus Christ is the single most important event in your history. Why? Because the problem with religion is this. Holiness cannot be transmitted through what we do. So in his great love, God sent Jesus. He lived a perfect life in your place and in my place so you can get off the perfectionistic treadmill. Do your best. The founder of our church movement used to say, do your best and commit the rest. And he died, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that now you don't have to fear death. The scripture says you will be absent from the body if you've trusted in him and present with the Lord. You'll close your eyes and you'll open it up and there will be Jesus. It is only Jesus who has the holiness of God and therefore can transmit the holiness of God to us through union with Jesus. Now, some people say, oh, no, no, there was a lady in the Gospels who just said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, what did he say? To it was your faith. It was your faith. It was your trust that will make you whole, that will heal you. So how do we receive this holiness? The scripture tells us we receive it by grace through faith. What is faith? Faith is simply this, turning to God, putting your trust in Jesus. Sadly, few consider our lack of holiness and our uncleanness and how contagious it is and how it puts us in such a bad place before God. Yet just think for a moment and picture in your mind Jesus Christ on the cross 
hanging there, bloodied, beaten, naked and ashamed, with his arms outstretched, saying to you, I will take your uncleanness from you. I will take your guilt from you. I will take your shame from you. All you need to do is put your trust in me. You will no longer have to live under the tyranny of trying to clean yourself up because Jesus Christ the righteous himself will make you clean. From this day, although we still suffer, although we still sin, as followers of Jesus, we are no longer defined by it and it is not our future because heaven is coming. Yet we also know that religion will never get us there. We also know that nothing we do will get us there. It's only possible because of what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. That's why we trust in Jesus instead of religion. Religion didn't do anything for me. It won't do anything for anybody. I agree. Religion, it's caused a lot of problems and trouble in the world. I agree. Church, it's full of hypocrites. I agree, and I'd like to invite you to mine. (laughs) You'd be a welcome hypocrite. See, because the reality is, is the Lord Jesus fixed the problem. And today he calls all of us, either for the first time or maybe the hundredth millionth time, to turn to him, to trust in him, and to follow him. Well, let's pray.